0: All right. good morning to all of you uh, who are joining in online and good morning to everyone who is joining us here at the Ledge Community Coffee House in Squamish. It is really fantastic. It is fantastic together. Uh, we, we had a fantastic worship time here and um, I was just remo- reminded about that now. How powerful it is to worship. How powerful it is to bring your body under the authority of what God is doing and what He wants to do through His Spirit. And as the Apostle Paul says, I think it's in Romans 12, for us to offer our whole bodies as a sacrifice to Him. And what a joy it is to do that this morning with all of you. Uh, we want to welcome uh, each and everyone who's uh, joining in for the very first time online and also uh, visiting you this morning. We want to welcome, we've got a a brand new visitor here, and uh, we want to say you're most welcome, and uh, we would love to get to know you more maybe here afterwards if that's possible. But yeah, for those of you that are new online, we want to encourage you to make yourself known through the online chat function so that someone from our church can connect with you, uh, find out who you are, and find out how we can serve you. Right, so uh, I'm not going to carry on too long With uh, introductions and and little side notes, but I want to dive straight into our uh, passage for today. And as you know, we are in a series titled Knowing Jesus. And uh, this is the fourth sermon, the fourth message on that theme of what it looks like to actually know Jesus, follow Jesus, love Jesus, um, and to obey Jesus and to trust Jesus in this time that we are living in. And the overall goal and purpose of this series is, as Leonard put it, it is for the purpose to sanctify us, to call us into a deeper relationship with Jesus as we follow Him and trust Him, but sanctifying it. And it's so beautiful for me because uh, this uh, week when I recorded a little video for the Kids Rock uh, Virtual Sunday School, that is their new overarching theme and, and Bible verse or, or term that they're looking at. is What is sanctification? And, and beautifully said there in that Virtual Sunday School video, it is that process of becoming more and more like Jesus. And overall, the goal is then, as we look to follow Jesus and become more and more like Him, it is for that purpose to love Jesus and to make Him known. And that is our vision and mission here at the Rock Church in Squamish. We want to make Jesus known. That is why we exist. Now, with that in mind, I want us to turn to today's passage, which is out of Matthew 5. And we're going to look at verses 13 to 20. And I'm going to be reading from the New International Version. I know Glenn, we normally, yeah, we like to use the English Standard Version. I like the NIV. Uh, that My study Bible, my application study Bible is an NIV. Uh, but it's still a very good translation that gives us uh, a, a great concept of what the overall passage and meaning of the passage is and what uh, Jesus is communicating. And so, yeah, I'm going to throw that up on screen and I think that's going to be thrown up. I've got it there uh, for the online viewers as well. So let us read together. From verse 13. Jesus is speaking here and he says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Before we dive into this message, let us just pray. Father, we, we just thank you. For the privilege to be able to meet and gather in your presence. We thank you for your presence. Father, I come and ask uh, by your power, by your spirit, come and illuminate to us your truth. Sanctify us by your truth. And Jesus, you said your word is truth. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start off by quickly telling you uh, a little story of when I was in school, and specifically high school uh, in South Africa. It was uh, quite a formal, traditional school setup that we still have in South Africa. The public school setup is very formal. You've got your school uniform. Uh, you've got a strong focus on sports and activities. Uh, with the seasons and at the beginning of every school year in January and February we would have an intense focus on track and field in the warmest time of the year uh, the town that we lived in before we moved to Canada this temperatures we're experiencing here now that's kind of like what it's like December January February in the town that we lived in and and that is have to do athletics right and and it was great. We were encouraged to participate and, and to go to trials. And then if you don't make the trials, it means you're part of the, the school's uh, cheering team. You're, you're part of the, the school that's then practicing music and songs and moves and everything that you're going to uh, use to cheer on your team at the inter-schools athletics meeting that would be at the end of the season. And, and what that looked like, it was like five or six of the, the best schools in your region, coming together, and you then compete against one another. Now, I wasn't wasn't, uh, really a great athlete. Um, I wasn't a sprinter. I was not a long-distance athlete. But when I was in elementary school, I tried out for high jump, believe it or not. And I was able to actually do pretty well in high jump. I wasn't the best, but I was able to compete effectively with my peers and and I was able to do a, a decent Fosbury flip. If you know, uh, the Fosbury flip, it's that weird move that you have to, you jump, you're approaching the, the high jump crossbar and you have to turn, you kind of like jump over, almost like a backflip. You arch your back and you flip over, okay? Um, and when I was in high school, in grade 10 or 11, I believe, I can't exactly remember the, the year, I actually qualified to... Compete at our big inter-schools, interstate kind of like championship, together with another guy from my school, and and so we were there at our high jump event, and we had the umpires there, and and I saw all of these other athletes, man, and I was intimidated, but I warmed up, and I was like, okay, I'm going to give it my best shot, and doing some warm-up jumps, and then the umpires called us in, and they said, okay, listen, boys, we're going to start jumping. Um, we're going to start our jump today at the height of 1.7 meters. And I listened to that, and I was like, yes, the highest I'd ever jumped was something like 1.0. Oh, is that You're not working? Oh, okay, here we go. Sorry, apologies. Let's see if this works. Taste one, two. taste, taste one, two. Is that working now? Test one, two, three. Okay, let's try that again. And so I was... Listening to that, and I was like, oh man, the highest I'd ever jumped before was 1.68 meters, something like that. (laughs) And that bar was that high. And I said, oh boy. And I took my first jump, hit the crossbar, didn't make it. (laughs) And there were a couple of other guys that made it easily. And then some that also struggled like me. But I then had my second chance and knocked it over. Didn't make it. And then third and final chance <laughs> at the entry level. Boing. Didn't make it. So <laughs> it was a quick event. I was done and I could join in with my friends on the pavilion. We could go and cheer on the rest of the team. And we had a good laugh. <laughs> Just really couldn't even make the first jump. Okay. Now. Why do I share that with you this morning? Uh, The reason is, I want to suggest to us that many of us, in our walk with Jesus, and becoming more and more like Him, we can sometimes get quite discouraged and overwhelmed, just like setting up for that jump that I had to make, that we feel that, you know, in this relationship with Jesus, the requirements of Jesus, the... The standard of Jesus, what he is calling me for, and, and his word, it is just too high. It feels like, man, how, how can I ever live up to this? expect? And especially in this current cultural moment and, and milieu that we're living in, where there is such pressure, right? There is such pressure to say, listen, but that is absurd, the kind of like standard that you want to live to as a, as, a, as a Christian with regards to various aspects that are hot topics now in our culture. And then what can happen many times to us, and that is this has happened to me lots of times before, is I stumble and I fall, and, and I'm trying then out of my own flesh and out of my own works to still, I want to hit that crossbar and I knock it over. And what Satan loves to then do is to come and whisper in your ear that doubt, whether or not you are truly, jesus jesus's child whether or not this is worthwhile to really follow jesus if it's that hard and what he likes to do is to come and mess with our minds about our identity who we are he creates fear or he creates what's that acronym fud fear uncertainty and doubt you don't know that acronym FUD, it's a very popular acronym at the moment like FOMO. But the, Satan comes and f- spreads FUD, fear, certainty and doubt within us about who we truly are as God's chosen people, as his church. And he lies to us and he makes us feel that we're not good enough. And so what we then get caught up in is we try and then... Work at our salvation by works. We want to prove, hey, listen, I'm good enough. And we do it from a place of trying to, we we try and attain God's affirmation instead of the opposite. Instead of actually understanding that he affirms us already as his children when we put our faith in him. Without us having to jump that bar. Without us having to do a phosphory flip to get over But we're going to get to that at the end as to why that is possible, why it's possible for us to be affirmed by God, even though we don't have to cross that bar. Now, let's look at Matthew 5, verses 13 to 20 quickly here, and then I'm going to explain what I see happening here with Jesus' teaching. Verse 13, You are the salt of the earth, Jesus says, and glorify your Father in heaven. This section here in Matthew 5 is, of course, just after Jesus preaches the Beatitudes. And if you go just before that and you look at chapter 4, you see how Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan, yet never sinned. And then he starts his his ministry and calls his disciples. But at the end of chapter 4, just before this Sermon on the Mount, it says that large crowds, thousands of people were following him, and he was healing the sick. He was making the blind see, the deaf fear, all of these messianic miracles. And it says then at the beginning of chapter 5 that when Jesus saw the crowds, he was actually on a mountainside and his disciples came to him, but he saw the crowds and then he started teaching them In other words, his disciples, it first focuses on the fact that he is looking to speak to his disciples, even though there are many crowds, many people around. In, In Luke 6, we also see that it says, Jesus, looking at his disciples, started teaching them. So I want to suggest that even though there were many listening to the Sermon on the Mount, first and foremost, his priority was for those he had chosen. He chose his disciples and he says this to them. He's speaking to them. So he is instructing those on the practicalities of what it looks like if you are already in and affirmed. You are mine. You are chosen. You're in a relationship with God because of me, his disciples. And then he goes into what it's going to look like then to have an impact on the world around us if you are his. Now, if there is anything we know about being a follower of Jesus, it is this. There are many perceptions about what it looks like to follow Jesus. There's always been many perceptions what it looks like. Those perceptions are created within the church, they are created outside of the church by media or by culture or the history of the church. We have experienced that so much lately. But in the end, the question is, what is the real perception we need to be worried about and caring about? And I would suggest to you that it is the perception of the one who has given us his affirmation. What does Jesus say what it needs to look like to follow him? And we see here very clearly that he gives us this image, these two pictures. It needs to look like salt and light. Now there's a little book that I came across and God provided it for me in this uh, week leading up to this message um, By Timothy Keller, it's titled, How to Reach the West Again. I would really recommend it to you. It's a quick read, maybe an hour. I got the audio version of it and the e-book version, and I was listening to it and reading it. And in it, he reflects on how the church have, over the course of its existence, of the last 2,000 years, how we have lived out this calling to be salt and light. And he quotes a professor of religion and culture and social theory at the University of Virginia. His name is James Hunter. He quotes him and says that this professor identified three strategies that is clear over the last 2,000 years of how we have tried to be salt and light. The first one is that the church has tried to be super defensive from or against culture. And we've tried to dominate it. And how that plays out, we have seen that happen so many times. It normally happens through political power. Getting your political candidate in power who's a Christian or he says he's a Christian or she says she's a Christian. And yes, now we're back to being that great nation again. Okay? That's the first strategy. The the second one that the church has tried to do is to seek purity from culture and to withdraw from it. We saw that in the early church, as soon as the church became the imperial church, as a result of the conversion of Constantine in the Roman Empire, there were many people that saw big trouble coming. And what did they do? They detracted from culture. They went and they started the monastic church, which had its purpose and its good things, but they detracted. Go and live somewhere Secluded. it. Let's stay away from the culture. It's evil. And then thirdly, another way that the church has tried to be salt and light is to compromise with culture and to assimilate it. And it's what we have, I believe, seen happen mostly of late. We try and be re- relevant to the culture. Now, according to this professor, these strategies are all flawed. They have not worked. It's clear. And he argues, and Keller writes this, that the church, what we are called to do to be salt and light, is instead to have a faithful presence in the culture. To be faithfully present in the culture. Uh, Nick read and, and spoke about it here this morning You know, we are called to be in the world. We're not from the world, but in the world. And so for me, it is then very fitting that Jesus teaches his disciples here, those that he affirms and is called, that the way in which they will need to conduct themselves in the world is to be salt and light. It is used as this image, firstly, salt as a spice, giving flavor and taste to food and specifically meat. If you know me by now, you know as a South African, I love to barbecue or braai as we we call it. But listen, there's nothing worse than than having a piece of steak that's been barbecued and it's got zero spice, zero salt on it. It's terrible. Like you can't eat it. Even if you put ketchup on it, it's really bad. Okay. It tastes horrible. But. Not only that, salt gives us the flavor of, of what we're eating and brings out that taste. But, of course, salt also represents preservation. It, it represents a mineral or a spice that is used to preserve meat, especially meat. You know, my ancestors, the Afrikaner Boers, if you know a little bit about South African histories, they... Travelled from the southernmost point of Africa up towards the northern parts of South Africa, where they they were looking for greener pastures they were looking for a place where they could have freedom and live their lives and in order to do that they they had to survive by hunting and then taking that meat and preserving it and and so came the tradition to create. What is called the South African version of beef jerky is just um, a million times better than jerky, right? Built on. But the, the salt and the spices is used to preserve that meat so that they can then eat that meat on their journey. Because, you know, 1700s, 1800s, no fridges, no nothing, right? But it's that kind of image. It's flavor and preservation. Another word is to conserve, okay? to preserve or to conserve. Now, in the same way Jesus says that those he chooses and those who in turn choose to receive his invitation to be forgiven for their sin, to acknowledge that they fall short of God's glory and trust him for his forgiveness and his work on the cross, he says we need to be like that. We need to give flavor, the flavor of God, to a world that does not really know what true flavor is. And we are then called to preserve that which is holy and righteous. Which I believe is, is the word of God. And then, of course, we see that what, is, what has become God's dwelling place? People, the Margot day. We need to preserve that image of God. In other words, Christians are called to make an effort and to affect the world around them. But we are of little value for God if we choose to be defensive or to detract or merely just blend in with the rest of the world. But not only that, but Jesus then uses light. He gives us this image of light and he uses this picture of a city that's on a hill. You see it, and no one lights up a lamp and then covers it up. Um, I'm not sure if you've taken an international flight, a long flight, overnight, or any flight overnight. The first time I flew from South Africa to England, there uh, there was a section that we flew over uh, the desert because I was flying and connecting in Dubai, and over those spaces it, that I could see from out the window, you know, below me, it, there there weren't many towns. But then it was very easy to see a town or a place where there are lights in the darkness from 10,000 feet. I don't know how high high we were flying, but it's that picture. It's, it's, we are that city on a hill. We're supposed to be seen. Or if you go camping, you know, and it's dark outside. Now in the middle of the summer, the, you know, it, it doesn't get very dark, but when it is dark and you put up a a lamp or something, it's silly to, to put up a, a lamp. And then go, well, okay, I'm just going to cover up the, with a bowl. Like, that that's defeats the purpose. It's there to give us light. And so if, if we live for Christ, we will then glow like that kind of light to show others what Jesus is like. But as I said, we live in a time where there's so many perceptions about what Jesus is like. And the church has not done itself a, a lot of favors In that regard, even though the church has, we quickly forget, we would not be here. Secular culture would not be in the position, the West would not be here if it wasn't for the church. But I quickly want to share some points on how we hide our lights. Because I feel like Jesus focuses on that a lot. He says, don't go and put something over your light, a bowl or something, don't cover it up. But the ways in which we can easily do that are some of the following. When we remain quiet, when we should speak up about issues of injustice or immorality or evil. When we go along with what culture says truth and justice is. And especially when it comes to this, this climate of relative morality or relativism. You know, there's this statement... Or very quickly, we're put in positions where you're not allowed to share your faith. But everyone else forces their beliefs currently on the world, right? Like when someone says there's no absolute truth, don't come with me that there's an absolute truth to life. That claim in itself is an absolute statement. So it's, it's very ironic and hypocritical. But when we deny the light of Jesus... That's a way in which we're covering up the truth. When we live in sin and we do not confess it, we dim the light of Jesus. If we fail to explain or give a reason for the hope we have in Jesus, that is a way in which we dim the light. Or if we ignore the needs of others, that is a way in which we dim the light. Now at this point, I want to say something that's most probably going to get me in trouble with people. But I, I want to say this, that if we truly want to start speaking up as the church, and if we want to own past mistakes and admit our failures and ask forgiveness for the sins of the past, which I believe is very good, we see biblical examples of where Israel did that, where they confessed sins on behalf of, of forefathers and they acknowledged that. That's all good. If we want to do that with with the kind of of events we see currently taking place that have come onto the forefront, we then also need to consider that we need to be consistent and also start speaking up against not only those who have died at the hands of government and church history, but those who are currently being put to death prematurely in the womb and in their old age. If we want to really rise up, then we need to be consistent as the church. Because then I believe it's not about just speaking up against that, but then as the church, be the light to say, but there is grace and forgiveness. That there is forgiveness for those who see God and repent of their sins and repent of these acts. But as a result, we do experience that. As the church, we are struggling to shine a light because overall we have lost our voice in these matters. I don't have it up there on screen, but Proverbs 31 verse 8 says this, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. So if this is who and what we are, as his followers, if, if we are called to be salt and light, how does he want us to attain it? How does Jesus want us to be salt and light? In that book again by Keller, he quotes that professor again by saying that the answer is not to withdraw from culture, as I pointed out. It's not to compromise. It's not to dominate. But it's simply to enter every field trying to be salt and light, trying to serve, and yet at the same time being true to the Christian faith. In other words, it's the church being the church. It's not just coming to a place once a week or in a community group together. That's part of your worship. But overall, it is about the individual Christian in your place of work, in your sphere of influence, to go and be faithful to Jesus. How can we be faithful? Well, Professor Hunter believes that it means to stay true to the Bible, but to be present in the culture. And I believe that is what Jesus then alludes to in this other section. Verses 17 to 18. Let's have a look. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So what we see here is that Jesus gives his disciples a clear indication of how they will be able to be that flavor, that salt of Christ in the world, and how they will be able to preserve that what is holy and make an impact. It's interesting that Jesus follows up that section on salt and light and about our good works in front of others so that they may glorify God with this statement about the law and the prophets. In other words, the whole Old Testament that will not disappear until heaven and earth disappears. In other words, it's, it's an apocalyptic claim. It's eschatological. In other words, in plain words, it's an end time Kind of statement, right? It's like until the end times, until I return or the end of the earth, the whole word of God will still be there. Now, what does he mean by this? Well, we know that God's law, the Old Testament, specifically in the Torah, the first five books, there were three distinct laws or three categories. You had ceremonial laws, you had civil laws, and you had God's moral laws. And what Jesus is referring to here is specifically God's moral law and standards that will not pass away or not be added to by him until the final day, until that final day of judgment. This is exactly the sentiment of the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 to 17, that he says, all scripture is god briefed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. When Paul is writing here all of scripture, he's talking about They canonized the Old Testament according to the Jewish tradition. They didn't have a New Testament yet at that stage. Now, why is this important? It's important for us to understand this. Many people have a misconception about what Jesus' standard for living is. Many people misinterpret Jesus' treatment and love for sinners to mean that he affirms them in their current lifestyle that they live in. And what I mean by that is, is that many people look at the way that Jesus, for example, treats the woman that was brought before him by the Pharisees in John 8, the woman caught in adultery. And they say, but look, look at how Jesus treats her. But they don't read the whole story because Jesus asks her in the end, after he says, listen, he without sin cast the first stone. After all of them disappear, he asks her, so was there no one to condemn you? And she says, no. And he says, I also don't condemn you, even though he could. And then he calls her to a higher standard. He says, go and sin no more. Live a life free from the sin. It's the same with in John 5, when Jesus heals a paral- uh, paralytic man at the, the pool of Bethesda. He heals him, but then later on when he finds him again, he says, look, you are well. Go now and sin no more. So in other words, yes, Jesus has this love and compassion to reach out to those who are not in relationship with him, but he calls them then, when he affirms them, to this higher standing. So he shows us what true compassion, grace, and forgiveness looks like. But it is based on a moral standard for living that, will, that still comes from God's law. And knowing that God's final judgment and reckoning with the world will be based on that standard. That is God's standard. And so what Jesus is doing here is calling out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the experts. They were the ones who were detracting from God's law. They were the ones that were divorcing their wives, for example, so that they could satisfy the lusts of their hearts, so that they could get other women, for example. And we see Jesus emphasizes the fact that it is not just about teaching what God's standard is, but it is about practicing it. And Jesus emphasized this many times. If you truly are my disciples, you will keep my commands. Now, sounds like I said, have I created a feeling that kind of like is that feeling I had doing that, looking at that high, high jump bar? <laughs> it's like, oh man, this is impossible. <laughs> Well, that's kind of like the implications, right? It is, it is, it is not possible for us, out of our own strength, to make that jump. We cannot reach that. We fall short of that every time. And so we now we can get confused because does Jesus actually mean to say that in order for someone to enter the kingdom of God, the that, in other words, to be a, in relationship with them and to be with him for eternity that they need to do a better job, or work harder at keeping God's moral law more than the most scrupulous lawkeepers of the day, the Pharisees and lawkeepers, is that what Jesus is saying? I want to conclude by bringing you back to my story, the high jump story. I believe what Jesus is saying is this, that yes, if we were to look at God's requirement for holiness and right living in relationship with him in this life as attainable through clearing the bar in a high jump competition, then that bar is infinitely high, infinitely. No one can clear that bar, but that is why Jesus came in order that we would not have to make that jump but that he would do the Fosbury flip for us. That he is the one that takes the stand and say, okay, I'm going to live this life perfectly. I'm going to cross that bar and fulfill the righteous requirement of God, the the standard that God has for mankind, because Jesus was 100% man, even though 100% God, he was man. And, And so by doing that, it's kind of like him going over that infinity bar. It's like we don't even see it. It's that high. And he flops over to the other side and he says, follow me. Any jumpers that want to follow me, come. You've, you're affirmed. You're in. Umpires, those, those there. And, and it's as if God, the Father is there and he is the umpire. And he's like, well, who wants to be in? Who wants to join? Jesus has done the jump for you. But you see, He does it so that we can have a relationship with Him and then trust in Him continually to live by His Spirit and still in our process of growing in His image and likeness that, yes, we acknowledge, Lord, we will always fall short, but You have crossed that bar for me and I can come back to Him every time that I do try Out of my own strength, and I can acknowledge and say, Jesus, forgive me. Thank you that you're a loving Father. Thank you that you're a loving God. Thank you that I can be renewed by your Spirit. And then, by Spirit, we live that out in humility in front of the world. And that is what I believe what Jesus said. In the end, this is how they would know that you are my disciples, for your love for one another. And that love is that standard of, how many times do I need to forgive my brother or sister? Jesus said. Was that 7 times 70 or is it 70 times 70? The point is, infinitely. So many times. That is God's calling on us. That is salt and light. And so I want to encourage us this morning for us to be salt and light then. We desperately need his power to renew us, his spirit to renew us. And then by his spirit, we need to preserve what is holy and righteous and and trust his word. His word is good. His ways are good. He is faithful.